Well, good morning. We're going to go ahead and uh, get started this morning. Uh, for those of you who uh, were not here last week, we started a new study, uh, a new series here in Sunday School, and we're going to be going through the Gospel of John over the next couple of months. And so uh, that's where we are. We're in Big John, not not Little John, but Big John. And um, uh, last week, if you were here, you know we went over the first um, 18 verses, which is commonly referred to as the prologue. And or the introduction there to John's Gospel, and we talked about that. And we're going to pick up a little bit on that this morning, and uh, today uh, we're going to cover verses 19 through 28. So uh, today, today's lessons is going to cover uh, John chapter 1, verses 19 through 28. Let me, uh, let me go ahead and read these verses for us. Now this is the testimony of John. When the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, Who are you? He confessed and did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ. And they asked him, What then? Are you Elijah? He said, I am not. Are you the prophet? And he answered, No. Then they said to him, Who are you? That we may give an answer to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? He said, I am the voice of the one crying in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah has said. Now those who were sent, those who were sent were from the Pharisees. And they asked him, saying, Why then do you baptize if you're not the Christ, nor Elijah, nor the prophet? And John answered them, saying, I baptize with water, But there stands among you one whom you do not know. It is he who is coming after me, is preferred before me, whose sandal strap I am not not worthy to loose. And these things were done in, and help me with the pronunciation, someone here uh, who's better. I was going to say it, um, Bethabara, but that's not right. Is that close? I'm I'm looking at you as you're the resident expert. That's close. Uh, and these things were done in Bethabara, beyond the Jordan, where John was baptizing. Let's go ahead and let's pray together. Ask the Lord to be with us this morning. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for uh, our time this morning that you set aside in our week. Father, as we embark on this study in the Gospel of John, Father, you know everything that's going to take place here in these studies. And we just ask uh, that You bless our time together. Father, we ask that uh, Your Holy Spirit be with us and, and guide us in understanding and truth. And Even now, I'm be preparing our hearts for our morning worship service. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. As I said last week, uh, our sound system is not working, so if I get quieter, please just put your, put your, hair, uh, put your hand up by your uh, ear and... I'll be sure to try to speak up. Uh, So, as we mentioned last week, the first 18 verses were known as the prologue. And here in John's Gospel, after the prologue, uh, John gives us a brief summary of the ministry of John the Baptist. Now, Dr. Sproul says that John the Baptist, in his opinion, is uh, probably the most neglected person of all of Scripture. And... um, but he also reminds us, but that wasn't the case in the first century when this was written and when this happened. It was not the case. He, 
uh, attracted enormous attention uh, among the Jews at that time. Even uh, secular historians of the time give more attention to John the Baptist than they do even to Jesus. So we can ask why. Why? What's Help us understand why this is the case. He offered some insight um, and he offered, Dr. Sproul offered that maybe it was because the, of course, we know the, the rich history of Israel and Israel has boasted a rich history of prophets from God. And as I mentioned last week, by this time, it had been 400 years since we've heard from God. So this rich history that Israel celebrates and enjoys kind of had just become history at that point. It, it, it's just something that happened a long time ago. Um, and so it's been now 400 years. So now suddenly, after 400 years of silence from God, uh, this prophet, this prophet emerges in the desert of all places, which, you know, again, uh, studying our Old Testament, uh, was traditionally where God met, the, met His people. It's where God and man met, was traditionally in the desert. So now you have this prophet, he emerges on the scene, uh, he dressed funny, you know, uh, he acted strange, and he brings this new ministry. And so, uh, because of these things, and just in a very, very short amount of time, John the Baptist uh, gained a lot of attention. Well, what was his message? I think we mentioned it last week as well. His message was very simple. Uh, his message was, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The coming of the Messiah, now, uh, again, this was John's message in his ministry, was not something that's now in the distant future. It's not something that is far off. His point was, this is about to happen, and it's about to happen now. And he says, people, you better get ready. Right, if we wanted to translate it into just modern uh, terminology or modern language, you better get ready. He's coming, and you better get ready. Now we know um, that, and we talked about it last week as well. The introduction, the message of of John the, uh, the Baptist uh, announcing or heralding the Messiah, uh, the coming of Christ, and he offers uh, some. I guess a purpose. He wants, why is the Messiah coming? Well, for one thing, we know he's coming for the purpose of judgment. Again, that's why John the Baptist starts with what? Repent, the kingdom of heaven is hand. Christ is coming. He is returning. And he's returning uh, for one of the purposes is the purpose of judgment. Now, why do, why, why, where do we get that? Well, we get that from several places. One place we get that is from over in Luke's Gospel. Luke uh, chapter 3 verse 17 is a, is a verse I know you probably will be familiar to you. I'll read it for you. Um, Luke chapter 3 verse 17. His winnowing fan is in his hand and he will thoroughly clean out all his threshing floor and gather the wheat into his barn. But the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. Now who's ever seen anyone use a winnowing fan? Do we know what that is? Do we know what a winnowing fan is? That's, 
Yes, it's a, it's a it's a real thing, obviously that was used. Um, and uh, uh, the winnowing fan, you think about it, a fan. Uh, I, I googled it too and looked through stuff and looked at some modern examples of winnowing fans. And it was like a a, a basket, uh, but the grain and the wheat would be put in the basket, and you just you're just moving it around, shaking it, and it's letting what? It's letting the ch- the chaff separate. Okay, so you're just separating the good stuff from the bad stuff. Is basically what. Um, the winnowing fan does, and so you see this this pronouncement of judgment. He's going to. He's got the. He said Jesus has got the winnowing fan in his hand. He's the one doing the winnowing. He's going to separate uh, the wheat from the chaff, and and not just separate it. What what's he going to do with the wheat? He's taking it into his barn. Taking it into his barn. And what is it doing with the chaff? He doesn't just leave it on the floor. What does it say? He will burn it up with unquenchable fire. Those are strong words, right? For uh, the chaff, but also for the wheat. Wow. Um, uh, words of encouragement being gathered into his barn. So, John the Baptist was given this message, and he's uh, from God. He's called them to repent. And then he uh, he is asking them, or is requiring, or he's, 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 his message, part of his ministry, is to ask them to submit to a ritual cleansing of baptism. So John is here, and he's asking them to uh, submit to baptism. Now, when I think about baptism for a minute, it's important to note that the ritual cleansing of uh, the proselyte baptism had started among the Jews uh, in the what we would call the intertestimonial times, but it was limited to Gentiles. Okay, so this was a practice already, um, uh, but it was limited to Gentiles. It was not to be administered to Jews. Why? Because Jews are in the family; they're God's chosen people. They don't need to be. Baptized, right? They'll need to be cleansed. That was the justification, right? So only Gentiles who would convert to Judaism uh, were required to be baptized. Because why? They were considered unclean. So uh, the Gentile converts during these times, if they would come in, they were required to be baptized. But here, John the Baptist is calling on Jews. He's calling on Jews to repent and be baptized. So what John was trying to tell him is the Messiah is about to arrive, my dear friends, but you're not ready. You, uh, the people of Israel, are unclean. That's the message he's trying to tell them. Another point here to mention is that during this proselyte baptism, the convert would baptize himself. Well, why? Because they're unclean, right? A Jew's not going to touch a Gentile. They're not going to have a communion or a fellowship with a Gentile until they're clean. So the, 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 the Gentile convert was required to baptize himself. Uh, they, were not, they weren't baptized. That Gentile convert was not baptized by a priest who would normally do something like that. But here, John is performing the baptism. Even though he had no official status, uh, he was not a priest, nor was he 
a Levite. So, giving that as a little bit of a background and kind of setting some context, it's easy to understand now why John's actions got so much attention. Okay, this is what's going on. So, he's gotten attention, and he's not just getting attention from the public, he's gotten attention now, as we read here today, from the religious authorities in Jerusalem. So, uh, we, we can we can kind of imagine, given what we've just studied, if if they they were upset, okay, and, and they probably would think to themselves something like we we say when something like this happens to us, who does this guy think he is? You know, who, what, wait a minute, word spreading, news is spreading. Who does this guy think he is? So asking, who is he to ask a Jew to be baptized? Why in the world? It's an insult, right? It's an insult even to ask that. So as a result, they sent a delegation down to investigate, and we have their exchange here. It's very important. Uh, this exchange that we read in the following verses is very important uh, to help us understand the entire Gospel of John. And so when they came down to him to meet him, they didn't waste any time. And right here in verse 19, what do they say? Who are you? Very very simple question, who are you? Verse 20 says, John answers, says, He confessed and did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ. Now when, let me read that for you again, right? He confessed and did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ. There's no uh, typo there, right, in the words. It's it's awkward, doesn't it? Doesn't the, the, the words, the phrase, doesn't it sound awkward? It's strange, isn't it? Uh, the wording of the verse is awkward. And uh, Dr. Sproul mentioned that it's even worse in the Greek. Okay, it's even more awkward if you were to read it in the Greek. I am, as you all know, not a Greek scholar. I have not read the Greek, but uh, I will take it on good word that he's telling the truth. Uh, but it's difficult to translate, is what he would say. So in this verse, what we find that John is saying, that John the Baptist... What he was attempting to do by using this language was to give them a straightforward response that left nothing to question. It was not ambiguous. It was clear. He wanted to be crystal clear. And that's the way he, the reason why he, he spoke and used the words that he did. And so uh, when John writes, he confessed and did not deny, but confessed... Okay, John, the author of the gospel, is using uh, the strongest possible method in the Greek to show just how uh, emphatic the Baptist was in his response. That's what he's trying to, to tell us. It was almost like he had to, he wasn't going to yell or lose his temper, but he was he wanted everyone, he wanted this delegation to be absolutely crystal clear that he was not the Christ. I am not the Christ. The word uh, here, confessed, uh, in the first instant, the way he used it, means uh, generally that he has stated the fact as it really was. Again, and then he repeats the word confessed to add even more emphasis. So we see here that immediately John the Baptist wants everyone to know, I'm not him. I'm not the Messiah. I'm here to point you to him though. 
Now, those familiar with uh, the Greek of this time would have understood that. It would not have been um, difficult for them. It would have been clear that that's the point he was trying to make. In verse 21, he says, And so they asked him, What then? Are you Elijah? So, you're not the Messiah. You're not the one. Then are you Elijah? Well, why did they ask that? What's the explanation? Well, as we've mentioned already um, earlier in the lesson and in last week, it's been how long since we've had a prophet from God? It's been 400 years, right? Well, when we go back to uh, Malachi uh, in the last paragraph of that book, we hear those words that are recorded in that, uh, and that's Malachi 4, verse 5, and this is the way it is written. It says, Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. So these, the Jews of the time, these folks, this delegation were familiar with uh, the last words because they were. They were the last words of God that they had. And so the Jews were now waiting for the return of Elijah, which is, uh, that's reasonable, right? That's reasonable based on what we have here. So we shouldn't be surprised that they ask him that. It's a reasonable question to ask. He's not the Messiah. Okay, are you Elijah? Because of what we have from the book of Malachi. Well, of course, in uh, verse 21, John replies, I am not. Simple answer, I am not. Well, again, if you're familiar with uh, the other gospel accounts, that creates a little bit of a problem for us. It's not a big problem. It's one that we can easily um, flesh out. Because over in Matthew 11, Matthew 11, uh, verse 14, John, or excuse me, Jesus spoke about John the Baptist, and He said this, And if you're willing to receive it, He, John the Baptist, is Elijah who is to come. Okay, now, so we have John the Baptist saying, I'm not Elijah. We have Jesus who says, He is Elijah who is to come. Well, neither one of them is lying, right? Um, what, what Jesus, the point Jesus was trying to make is that John the Baptist is Elijah in a sense. Okay, he's Elijah in a sense. And the point that John the Baptist's ministry, it's what Jesus was trying to make, his ministry was a fulfillment of the prophecy of Malachi, even though John was not personally Elijah. Okay, he's not Elijah come back from the dead. Okay, he's not, there's no reincarnation or anything. That's not what he's saying. But he's referring to the ministry, the purpose of the ministry of John the Baptist. And we can build this out a little bit. We can flesh this out a little bit based on what, if you remember, again, going to your knowledge of the other Gospels, okay, remember what the angel told John's father over in Luke chapter, excuse me, uh, chapter 1, verse 17. He says, what did he say, referring, the angel referring to John the Baptist? He says, he will go before him, the Messiah, in the spirit and power of Elijah. That's what the angel told John the Baptist's father. He will go before him in the spirit and in the power of Elijah. So God has now sent John, who was like Elijah. Uh, for example, one who had the same type of ministry, the same type of power, the same, a similar personality. 
than like Elijah. So that's that's uh, the best way to explain uh, this this verse here. Now, okay, so are you the Messiah? No, I'm not. Not here. Not even. No, absolutely not. Are you Elijah? No, I am not. So they continued. Continue asking who he was. Verse twenty-one. Are you the prophet? That was the next. Are you the prophet? Notice uh, that they asked, "Are you the prophet?" That's the way my. That's the way the new the, the new uh, King James says it, and others. Are you the prophet? Why did they? Why did they use that um, term? Why did they say that? Well, again. We're going to have to go back uh, to the Old Testament and Deuteronomy uh, chapter 18, verse 18. It says, I will rise up for them a prophet like you from among their brethren and I will put my words in his mouth and I will speak to them all that I command him. Again, history lesson for us all, a reminder for centuries now. The Jews have been waiting, anxiously awaiting, not only for the return of Elijah, but also for the return of the prophet, who they would believe, and because of Old Testament scriptures, would be like Moses. Remember, Moses was just not another prophet, right? Moses was a major player in redemptive history, right? Um, Moses was a significant person, in history, okay, extremely significant. He he was not simply a prophet, just a prophet. He was also uh, the, the the mediator of the Old Testament, okay. So significant. Moses was a big deal, or is a big deal. And so this next prophet that again we're waiting on. It's been four hundred years. We know it's. Is coming. He's coming. He would now the belief, and because of what we have in the Old Testament, would this next prophet would be the mediator of now the New Testament, or in other words, he'd be the Messiah. Okay. And so again, they are kind of probably on the edge of the seat. Okay, are are you the one we've been waiting for? Are you the one? That's what they're trying to ask him. And what does John say? No, I'm not. They're not getting any of the answers they were looking for, are they? Verse 22, it says, Then they said to him, Who are you? You're not Elijah. You're not the Messiah. You're not the prophet. Who are you that we may give an answer to those who sent us? Okay, we are, we are here. We have, we've been sent. We're an official delegation. We have strict orders to find out exactly who you say you are so because we've got to report back. We have to know what's going on. Now, uh, Dr. Sproul says here that uh, this choice of text, the, the, way that, the way that John chooses to answer this question was significant because he, how does he answer it? He goes back to the prophet Isaiah. Well, why is that significant? Well, do you remember... Uh, when Jesus began His public ministry after His temptation in the wilderness. You remember, He went back to His hometown of Nazareth. uh, And He went where? He went into the synagogue on the Sabbath. Didn't He? 
And so as uh, a teacher would be recognized when he came there, he was asked to read from the scroll, which for that day, it was, it was given to him, it was an assigned reading, okay? It wasn't, he didn't pick it, it was not his scripture text for the day in human terms. I guess he did pick it really, right? Because he's God. Uh, but, but, uh, but the scroll there that day just so happened, right? To be uh, the prophet Isaiah. That was the reading that was before them. And so Jesus read what? He read from Isaiah 61. And he read those words, and I'll read them for us. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because He has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and recover the sight of the blind, to set at liberty those who were oppressed, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. So we have the reading, just as our preacher does, right? He reads the the Scripture, and then we have probably the shortest sermon ever made. What did Jesus say? What was His... How did He expound upon those words? Today, this Scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. And He sat down. Now, don't get any ideas, preacher. Okay? Uh, We want more from you. We don't want just one sentence. Although, if that's what you need to tell us, then one sentence is enough. Okay? Okay? but we have here a one sentence sermon we have uh, and he and then he sat down what was jesus telling him jesus was using the prophecy in isaiah to say i'm the one you've been waiting for it's fulfilled today i'm the messiah i'm here so john the baptist did something uh, similar uh, he quotes from Isaiah 40. And in verse 23 of John's Gospel, we have this. The voice of the one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Isaiah had told us and told them that before the Messiah would come, there would be a messenger. There would be a herald. And what would his message be? Make the road straight. The Lord's coming. Make the road straight. Now, they're not talking about like an actual road, right? We're not talking about highway engineering or construction, although they were good at it this time. They were talking about the the pathway, the ministry that would go before Jesus, that would announce Jesus. And he's saying, Isaiah was saying, we don't want any twists and turns, we want a straight path. Jesus is coming. The Messiah is here and they want a straight path. And we're going to make a straight path. In other words, it's going to be clear. It's going to be clear this is who He is. And it's going to be clear to those who God wants to know. That God wants to know that, that, that He has worked in their lives. Because we know through the ministry of Jesus and the Messiah, it was hidden from some because they were just hard of heart. But to those... Who were, who were prepared, those the elect, ones that were there to hear Him, they saw it and the road was straight. So basically John said, that's me. I'm not the guy. I'm not the Messiah. I'm not the prophet. I'm not Elijah. I'm the herald. I'm the messenger. I'm the one that's here to get your attention and say, get ready. Get ready. Um, you know, he again, he's speaking to a group of people who thought... They're the nation of Israel. They're God's chosen people. They are okay with God simply because of their heritage. 
That's good enough. That's all we need. But he's saying, no what? Actually, you're not. He's been telling them, you're not ready. You're unclean. Uh, you need to be cleansed. Uh, so that is already, you know it is it's ticking some people off. They don't want to hear that. That's a, that's a message. Wait a minute, no. How dare you tell us that we are unclean and we need to be cleansed? Well, John is saying that's the message and that's why I'm here and that's what I'm here to tell you. Well, it didn't stop with those questions uh, because they still had a problem with John's baptism. Right? They still had a problem with this. And so in verse 25, it says, They asked him, saying, Why then do you baptize? If you're not the Christ, you're not Elijah, nor the prophet. Again, it's a reasonable question. Right? Um, We don't just let anybody baptize, do we? We don't, do we? We can't just decide, okay, well, yeah, uh, I'm going to go baptize. You want to be baptized? Sure, come on, I'll baptize you. That's not the way it works, is it? We do things orderly, and we have ordained ministers who perform the sacraments of baptism, and the Lord's Supper for that matter, but we're talking about baptism, right? We have ordained ministers. We have somebody who's called to that office. We do that, right? So it's, it's not an unreasonable question. It's, it's a reasonable question, because... John's just said, I'm none of those guys. And so he replies in verses 26 through 27. He says, And John answered them, saying, I baptize with water, but there stands one among you whom you do not know. It is he who, coming after me, is preferred before me, whose sandal strap I am not even worthy to loose. There is one, capital O, right? There is one who is among you, who you do not even know yet. He's been with you now for 30 years, right? You don't even know him. He's, he's here. He's, notice he says, he's coming after me. I'm here. I'm the herald. This is my ministry. His ministry comes after me. Remember that what John said about, uh, John the Baptist said about Jesus, he must what? Increase. I must decrease. Remember that? Um, because John says he is preferred preferred before me. Now there's a lot kind of packed in that. He is preferred because he's the Messiah. He's he's the Christ. But he's before him. He because what what is what does John already say in the beginning of uh, the gospel? He's in the beginning. He was the Word. He was with the Word, and the Word was God. All these things that that he is he is before me. He has been eternally uh, before me. But then he says this phrase. Uh, it's not a throwaway phrase. It's a real. It has some uh, some real meaning for us. It says, John said, "Whose sandal strap I am not even worthy to loose." I, I said, I, "I can't even. I'm not even worthy to touch his shoes." Well, what's the significance of that? Right? What? That doesn't sound like a whole lot, right? That's just it's a big deal. I mean, untie your shoes, you do it for your kids, you do it for other people, right? It's no big deal, right? Well. John mentions uh, Jesus' sand, uh, the sandal strap because this is an expression or an idiom that's commonly used among the Jews at the time. So let's build this out a little bit. Uh, in these times, uh, disciples of a rabbi, okay, um, students, right, learners of the teacher, uh, they didn't 
simply sit and listen to all their teaching. Um, they, they also took on the role of a servant to the rabbi. So the disciples had, again, they were there to learn and to study from the rabbi, from the teacher, but they also helped in a lot of things. They took on a role of uh, servant. They, they actually kind of took on the role of what would some would, would say at the time of a slave, basically attending to all their needs. So the disciples would do what? They would do things like making housing arrangements, um, taking care of food, preparing food so the rabbi would have something to eat. They took care of everything, all his needs. The disciples took care of that. Now, we're saying, we're using, I'm not talking about, I'm using the disciple, the term disciple in a general sense, okay? Just not, we're not talking about the disciples here in Jesus' time, but they would have taken a similar role, but you get the point. So it's a normal thing here. This is how uh, disciples, this was the relationship between a disciple and uh, a rabbi. But there was one thing that was different. Uh, There was one thing that was different about a, a disciple from someone who was actually a bond slave. Okay, because there's there's two different classes of of people here, um, and the difference was the disciple was never, not one time ever, required to take care of the rabbi's shoes or sandals. That was something that the disciple, in this the case of the disciple and the rabbi, he was never asked to do. Well, why? Well, that was considered the lowest task. That was considered beneath the lowest. It was the lowest of the low. And so John says, I'm not even worthy to touch his, to take off his shoes. So, what, what was John saying? John's point was, don't look at me. Do not look at me. He said, I am lower than even a disciple. I'm even lower than a slave. I'm not even worthy to untie his shoes. It kind of gives new meaning to the foot washing that Jesus did, didn't it? Gives new meaning, gives new depth to what Jesus did in those last hours and days of, with his disciples. What did he do? Man, not even that, that was beneath. I mean, that, that was the lowest of the low. But here, in that, of course, in, in that instance, we have the Messiah, the one who was what in the beginning. He was the Word. He he was he was with God. He was God. This person, the second person of the Trinity, the Messiah after these three years of ministry, of being with these disciples and getting down and washing their feet. Just a, an act of humility and submission that makes you just want to say, wow, look at look at that man. How many times do I refuse to do things? Because, well, that's beneath me. I won't do that. That's, I'm going to get someone else to do that. That's someone else's job. Right, I mean, just look at the service, the heart of your Savior. It's just absolutely amazing to even consider that He would even do that. But no need to get off of where we here, where we are here. But so we see in John's confession the awkward wording of the Greek. 
Listen, I want to be clear. I'm not him. And he's saying, I, I'm not even not even worthy to untie his shoes. That's, that's where I am in this thing. So the humility here of John the Baptist. He wanted, again, his ministry is to what? His ministry is nothing about him. It's all about pointing to someone else. It's all about the whole thing. It's about pointing to someone else. And isn't that a part of our ministry? Isn't that part of the ministries of this church? The ministries of its pastors and, and pastors that have gone before, right? Whose picture's up on the wall? Whose job of our pastor today is to do what? Don't look at me. Do not look at me. Look at Christ. Pointing to Christ. And again, that's you and me. Every day, right? Yeah, we don't all get up and, and preach sermons on Sunday mornings. We don't do that. But we live in a world where people need to hear the gospel every day, right? And it's not pointing people to us. It's not flashiness. It's not, you know, it's not the, the eloquence of the speaker because uh, that's what a lot of people are drawn to, right? You see that sometimes. You see uh, uh, people, uh, we call them celebrity pastors, whatever you want to call them. Uh, it's what do we see in those ministries? It's all about them, isn't it? It's about their fame, making them look good. Uh, that's when you know you got to run, don't you? not about me it's not about our pastor it's about what it's about pointing people lost people to christ the messiah the one who is here the one who's about to be here and to be on the scene and so uh, dr sproul kind of uh, finishes this uh, section he says i believe that john includes this incident at the beginning of his gospel to help focus the reader's attention on the one whom John's gospel announces. John is saying, through John the Baptist, it's time to make straight the highway of our Lord. He's here. Any uh, questions or any comments? We have a little over five minutes left, but love to, if you something that you wanted to add to this, or maybe even a question or something. Okay, let me uh, let me close in prayer. <clears throat> Heavenly Father, we do thank you for our time this morning. Uh, Father, we ask that uh, you just uh, use your word, Father, as uh, to to change us. Father, we pray that, you pray that you will apply it to our hearts. Father, if there's been anything uh, said this morning in error, Father, we just ask that you take it away and just remove it from our hearing. Father, but uh, where your truth has been here this morning, we ask that you just apply it and multiply it in our lives. And, and Father, now we pray that you'll be uh, with our pastor as he leads us in our morning service. Father, we pray that our worship will be acceptable before you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.